going to start another series. I don't know how long it will be. Probably at this point it looks like maybe about three or four weeks. Uh, on the topic, the will of God. Uh, the will of God. And um, as a pastor, I, I remember as a youth pastor, oftentimes young people would, uh, we would preach on knowing the will of God and doing the will of God with their life. And oftentimes young people would ask me that age-old question, how do you know the will of God? And I always gave the answer that I think we would often say is the right answer. And that is, well, I don't know that I could give you the will of God for your life. That's something you're going to have to find out for yourself. And uh, I've told people in the past that I don't think a pastor has any right to tell people what God's will for their life is. But I have to go back on that statement and say I think that that was not completely accurate. Because there are a number of things in the Bible where God says, this is my will. And since it's in Scripture, there are certainly very many things that we can teach on that we know to be God's will. And uh, so we're going to do a series on several of these. And maybe if I can uh, find as many of them as I can, we may do the whole, all of them that I can find in Scripture regarding what is God's will for our life. And and we oftentimes misuse that term. Uh, When we say, Well, how do I know what God's will for my life is? Uh, I understand what we mean by that. Oftentimes it's not, I want to know what His heart is and that He's given to us in Scripture, that He shared with us what His his will is. Uh, What we mean by that is, what does God have in store for me day by day? And those things, I believe, are things that only God can determine in your life. But I will say this, that His will, which we find in Scripture, should dictate His plan for our life. Our plan, or His plan for our life, will always be in direct agreement with and will never conflict with His will. If it ever does, then you can rest assured, it is not His plan for your life. Uh, I'm very careful, and I, I, there's many times a lot of people will come to me and say, Well, Pastor, uh, God told me this, and they go on to tell me uh, something that God had told them that they need to do in their life. Be very, very, very careful with that statement. Um, God does not tell us things extracurricular. He can lead us. He can give us some insight. And so I'm going to give you some things, some practical things tonight. First of all, I'm going to start off with just some very practical rules of thumb that are based on principles of Scripture that we can utilize to help know maybe some of God's plan. And then we're going to start with the the first topic tonight of what we know to be God's will in His Word. And uh, we're going to look at that. Look with me in Romans chapter 12. And verse number 1, Romans chapter 12, very familiar passage of Scripture. Many of you could probably quote this. Paul writes, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect Will of God. Now, there are two concepts that are given here. In verse number 1, we see that while the, the, the statement is not expressly said, we understand from the gist of what the context of what verse 1 is saying that it is dealing with our will. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And basically what Paul is saying here is take your, your will, the old flesh nature, take that which drives you, that which gives you the the ability to determine what you are going to do or what you are not going to do. 
That is what the will is. It's a, it's a function of the heart. It's a function of the mind that basically is the act of determining I'm either going to do this or I'm not going to do this. And it is that decision-making that we call our will. Uh, and so in verse 1, he says that that will needs to be presented to God. We need to give it to Him. It needs to be laid on an altar of sacrifice. It needs to be yielded, is the word we use oftentimes, to Him. Uh, and the Bible is replete with passages of uh, the idea of our will becoming His will. Uh, taking our will and, and making it His. And saying, Lord, I don't want my will done. I want Your will done. And we could go through Scripture and we could find uh, many, many verses that deal with that topic. I don't think that's in dispute tonight. But as we get to verse number 2, Paul says, And be not conformed to this world which is the tendency of the human will. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he says we're to do this, that we may prove, put to the test, to make sure of what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, there are certain passages of Scripture where God is extremely precise in expressing what His will is. And so these are the topics that we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks. I want to give you three things uh, to start with that I have used over the years that typically will lead us to know what, what God has in store for us in our daily lives, what we would consider to be, and I would rather use this term, His plan for our lives. Or to use it this way, uh, how we should be walking in the Spirit. What are the specifics of my day? Uh, when I make a decision, is this something God wants me to do or not? Uh, there are three things I always consider. I've shared these with other people before. And typically, I would say, uh, if all three of these line up and you have bathed the, the matter in prayer and have a complete peace about it, then when all of that lines up, it typically is God's will for your life. Now, I say that because... I would not say that in every instance, and I'll explain that why in a minute. There's three things typically that, that happen. First of all, God puts a desire in your heart for something. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's to uh, teach a Sunday school class, or maybe it's to uh, start a Bible study, or maybe it's, to, maybe it's just something simple like I'm going to increase my Bible reading daily, uh, or I'm going to stop a habit that I know to be in contradiction with God's Word. And you're trying to decide, should I do this, should I not? Um, even things about life's changes. Maybe you're, you're involved in a, um, a life work and an opportunity opens up. And you say, you know what, I wonder if God's will is for me to do that or God's plan for my life is to do that or should I just stay where I'm at? There are three things usually that happen. Number one, he'll put a desire in our hearts. Now, that is also true with the flesh nature. So that's not the only test that you use. Because the truth is, there's a lot of people who blame God for a decision that they make that's nothing more than their will being done. They say, I believe this is what God told me to do. And, and trust me, God was nowhere near it. They had the desire, and that was enough. Then the second one is, do they have the opportunity? Did God seem to open a door for that? Does God seem to have... Uh, uh, so you have a desire to do it. You have the opportunity to do it. And then there's the third one, which is, do I have the capability to do it? Has God given me the talent or the skill or the ability to do it? Now, those are the three things that I look at practically. And if all three of them are there, then there's two other things I do. First of all, I bathe the matter in prayer completely. It starts, it finishes, it's all in between. 
Lord, show me your will. Let me know this. And then I go to his word. And I find out, is there anything in Scripture that would hinder me from doing this? Is there anything that this would be in disagreement with? Now, if all this stuff falls into line, you've prayed about it, you've got peace. You've checked it with God's Word. There's nothing that conflicts with God's Word. You have a desire, and you have the ability, and you have the opportunity, and God's opened all three of those doors. Then, typically speaking, you can rest assured that that's more than likely what God has for you. But not every time. All right? Because then you have to look at this. Am I truly at a place where I have no will of my own in the matter, and I am seeking only what God wants? We, we tend to have desires of the heart. And when that opportunity presents itself, and the desire has certainly been there, and you feel like you have the ability, and it's easy to step through that door, having not prayed nearly enough about it, and having not gone to Scripture to see if it conflicts anywhere in Scripture. And we tend to rush to that based on our emotion, rather than the peace that God gives us to know that this is what He has for us to do. God makes it abundantly clear. And when I pray, when I pray and ask the Lord on, on matters of, of major <clears throat> things that are make major changes in my life, and I am asking Him for His guidance to know, I ask Him point. I, I, I just word it this way. I say, Lord, I need it to be abundantly clear, abundantly clear. And I have learned in my life that unless it becomes abundantly clear in my heart that this is what God wants, then I stay put. Even if my desire's there, even if the opportunities come up, even if I have the ability, if God does not make it abundantly clear to me. Uh, I've shared with you the story of uh, when I was in college, and uh, believed that God wanted me to start a home for inner city young people in Jacksonville, Florida. And I went to the prayer that night before making kind of the final decision whether to move ahead with it or not. And I asked him to make it abundantly clear to me. Those were the words I used. Lord, I need you. In fact, I used this word. Lord, I need you to knock me upside the head and let me know this is what you have for me. The very next day, a number of things took place, and I've shared some of that with you. We went to chapel, and there was a, 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 a children's home that was just driving by and stopped by chance at our college. And the president of the college asked them to come to chapel and to sing for us. I sat there in chapel and I said, Lord, that's good, but that's not good enough. We got done with chapel and I went to my mailbox on the way to lunch and I pulled a letter out of my, out of my mailbox that was from a children's home I had never heard of before. Never have gotten a letter from them before or since. And it was hand-addressed and handwritten saying, we're praying for you and want to let you know that uh, we're praying for God to give you direction in your life. And that was all it said, just a, a note of encouragement. Got in my car that afternoon to go to work, and there was a building that we had been praying about getting for the children's home. And as I drove to work that afternoon, I, as I did every day, I looked over at it and prayed for it. And the night before, at 11 o'clock at night, as I came home, I looked over and prayed for the building. Nothing was different about it. But after I went home that night and prayed, Lord, hit me upside the head and let me know for sure this is God's will uh, for my life. Uh, those two things had happened. On the way to work that, that afternoon, I looked over at the building, and some, somehow that morning, somebody had come and hung a banner. And when I say banner, this thing had to be 
probably 10 foot tall and 40 foot long. It was a huge banner across the front of the building. And all it said was, remember Jacksonville's children. That's all the sign said. There was no advertisement on it. There was no business on it. It just said, remember Jacksonville's children. And I thought, Lord, that's pretty good, but it's not good enough. I said, I'm a poor college student. I can't hardly pay my college bill. And they want a half. They want $600,000 for that building is what they were asking for. I said, Lord, I can't come up with that kind of money. I went to work that night, and I came home from work at about 11 o'clock at night. There was a friend of mine waiting in the parking lot there at the, at the college as I came in. This all happened the next day. As I pulled in the parking lot, and he was, it was after curfew, and I was wondering why he was out there. He was waiting on me to get there. He'd gotten special permission to come out and meet me in the parking lot. He said, i got to talk to you. He said, I was in the dorm tonight, and a family from my church called me. He said, this is the first time in four years of college they called me. They were trying to encourage me and find out I was, we were all getting ready to graduate, and they were asking me what I was going to be doing. And he said, I told them about us, just talking about and praying about starting a children's home here for these kids, a young people's shelter for these inner-city kids. And he said, um, I told them about the building we were looking at, and they asked me how much it was, and I said, oh, it's a lot of money. And they said, well, how much? And they said, he said, well, he said, Brother Greg, I told him it was $600,000. And uh, they... Uh, they said, we just sold a piece of property and we've been praying what God wants us to do with the proceeds. And they told this young man, said, if, uh, if you guys do that and go through with it, uh, we'll buy the building for you. Now, folks, when you have that kind of thing happen in your life, you can pretty well mark it down. That's what God has for you. I, uh, I'm not saying you have to have quite that bad but what I'm saying is this, you need to know for certain that that's what God has for you. And uh, I regret, I regret that I did not move forward with it. And it's one of those things I live with. But I'm thankful for a God of second chances that still allows us to serve in ministry. And He still has a will for us, and He still has a plan for us. And even though we might mess things up sometimes, He still has a way of, of allowing us to be a part of His work. What a joy it has been over these years to see many, many, and I've had the privilege and the thrill of working with many young people, to seeing their lives changed by God's work in their life. And there's hardly a week goes by I don't hear from one of them or read something about something that one of them are doing in ministry, and it just thrills my heart. Uh, but I sell that to say this. When it comes to knowing God's plan for your life, He's not up there trying to hide it from you. He's not. He wants you to know it as much as we need to know it. And if you'll seek for it with all of your heart, you'll pray about it, you'll ask for His guidance, and you do all of that within His will that He's given us in His Word, He'll make His plan apparent to us. It may only be the next step. It may not be your whole life. But He'll make it apparent. He'll tell you where to go and what to do. So let me give you a few things here very quickly, and then we're going to... We haven't even got into the the subject yet for tonight. I'm going to give you four things real quick regarding God's will that He's given to us in Scripture. Number one, it's imperative for us to understand that God wants us to know His will. I think growing up, I had this mindset that God's will was some big mystery that you had to go out and try to solve. You had to be like a Sherlock Holmes, or you had to go out here and and try to dig and dig and try to fight and, and scrounge for it all the time. Almost like a treasure hunt you had to be on and follow the map and the dangers and the snares and the, the booby traps along the way that try to uh, keep you from getting 
uh, to where you needed to be on this thing. God is not like that. God's desire is for you and I to know His will. And the problem we have is we don't do the will that we already know Him to, to, to give to us. We're not willing to, to comply with the will He's already shown us. And until we're willing to follow that, I, I certainly don't believe that He's going to be readily, ready, readily giving us His plan for our life. If we can't even follow what His will is. And so it's very important for us to understand this at the get-go, that God desires for us to know His will. That's why He gave us His Word. Not only to show us how to go to heaven, but how we're to live in a way that pleases Him. In following His will. And so God wants us. Number two, uh, this will is only going to be found in His Word by the teaching and the authenticating work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Is only going. He will never give you a will that is extra biblical. It's not going to be there for you to say. Well, I believe this is God's will, and it's not found in Scripture. Rest assured, that's not God's will. That's yours. Okay. His will is always found in His Word, and it is illuminated and given authentication in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He seals it to our hearts. We understand and we know it to be His will. Number three. His will will never be in conflict or contradict His Word or His character. His will will never be in conflict or contradict His Word or His character. If you say something is God's will and there's something about it in Scripture that is to the contrary, you can mark it down. That's not His will. No matter what you feel about it, it's not His will. Number four, God does not hide His will from us, nor does He make it difficult for us to know it and to understand it. He doesn't hide it. He makes it very clear. He makes it very apparent. We live in a day where a lot of people base their decisions on what is God's will and what is not God's will, on their experience, on how they feel, and not on His Word. And so we need to make sure that we come to God's Word. So this series, the whole purpose of this series is to put a foundation under what is God's will for your life. So let's look into the pages of Scripture and find out there's a vast majority of His will that He gives us in Scripture. And we'll look at all of those. Let's start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll look at the first one tonight and at least get a little ways into it. We may have to break this one into two lessons. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. <coughs> And let's read verse number 18 together. Paul writes this to the church at Thessalonica, "...in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you." Boy, that is a pretty blunt statement. Uh, If you sit here and say, I wonder what God's will is for my life. God's will is, in this instance, "...in everything give thanks." In everything, give thanks. To have a spirit of thankfulness. Not just, to, not just to go through the actions of giving a thanks, but to literally be in the, in the heart or the mindset of gratitude and thankfulness uh, for all things. It's interesting that when Paul had the thorn of uh, the flesh and the messenger of Satan to buffet him, he prayed three times, for God to deliver him from that. And God said, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul said, Therefore will I glorify 
or glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And he's, he was giving thanks, he was glorifying, he was thankful for even the thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him, because he realized two things, and he made this statement twice in that passage. He said, lest I should be exalted above measure. So he understood one, one, one reason for it was to keep him humble. And the second part of it was so that God could be glorified. In other words, you could say it kind of like John said it. Paul recognized that he needed to decrease and that Christ needed to increase. And by the way, that, that ought to be true of all of us. So, so Paul tells us here that in everything we're to give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, that is an easy thing to, to, to read and to memorize and to quote. It is a very difficult thing to practice. The, the things we're thankful for, those are easy to be thankful for. But the things that we're not thankful for are the things that are hard for us to be thankful for. There are several things that will keep us from being thankful. And I want us to look at those tonight, because knowing what will keep us from being thankful will help us to avoid them and to be able to be more thankful in our lives. In all things, that we're to be thankful in all things. Look with me, if you will, in Romans chapter number 1. We're going to give you seven things tonight. Lord willing, we may not get quite that far. Uh, we'll just go until it's about time to stop, and then we'll pick up there next week if we have to. Romans chapter number 1, and uh, let's go to verse number 21. Romans chapter number 1 and verse number 21. This one may seem obvious to us, but it is necessary that we express it here because it is one of the things that hinders thankfulness. Because, in verse number 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Can I tell you this tonight, that if you are not saved, if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, if you have not experienced the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is impossible for you to be thankful in all things. You must, first of all, be saved. If you're going to accomplish this part of God's will for us, you've got to be saved. It's vitally, vitally important that you understand this. Uh, by the way, if, if unthankfulness is a mark of being unsaved, follow with me on this, does it stand to any reason why you and I as Christians should ever be unthankful for anything? Why would we want to appear like the unsaved? Aren't we trying to lift up Christ and to glorify Him? Being thankful in all things helps us to do this. It's His will for our lives. To be, to be thankful in all things, first of all, we need to be redeemed. We need to be saved and on our way to heaven. Look, turn with me to Romans chapter number 8, if you will. Romans chapter 8, while we're in this book, we'll go on to Romans 8. Romans chapter number 8. And let's look in verse number 28. The Bible says this, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. It helps us to be thankful when we do not doubt what God is doing in our lives. I was listening to a fellow the other day, or it might have been, I think it was a little thing I heard on 
Yeah, it was, a, it was, a, it was a, I know what it was. It was a little, uh, there was a group of cowboys getting together, and they were telling, you know, how these cowboys give their stories and their poems and stuff, the old cowboy type thing. And this fella was relating an anecdote uh, of a family who had had um, an old farmer uh, over, to pre, uh, over to eat with their family, and they asked the old farmer, they were having breakfast that morning together, they asked the farmer if he would pray, if he'd be glad to give the, the blessing for the food that morning. And so the farmer started off. He said, now, Lord, you know that I hate lard. I just don't like it. And I'm not too fond of flour. I, I'm not real fond of, and he listed several more ingredients. He said, but, Lord, I know that once those things are all put together and I taste that biscuit, Lord, I sure love that biscuit. So, Father, help me to be thankful for the things that I don't love in this life, knowing that one day I'll get to enjoy the biscuit. I thought, boy, how, how wonderful to put that truth. Because there are things in our life that we don't like. But when we see how God did something so marvelous through it, it's easier for us to give thanks. But when we doubt God's hand at work, and we begin to say, Lord, I just don't understand what you're doing. It's hard to be grateful for that, isn't it? And we start to complain, Lord, I can't believe you're putting me through this. I'm amazed at Job. In fact, let's turn there for a minute. I'm going to use this verse. I think it's a great one. Job chapter number 1. If there was ever any person that had the right to doubt God and what was going on... I don't think there's any question we'd have to say that Job has to be in that, that top few of people that could be critical. The Apostle Paul might be another one after all the things that he went through and the suffering and the, the persecution and all the things he had to bear for the cause of Christ. I think any of the apostles that suffered a martyr's death certainly could have been doubtful when they went through the, the times that they went through of affliction and, uh, and persecution. But in Job chapter number 1, he's lost everything. He has one servant, or I think three servants left. He's got no cattle. He's got no children. Uh, He's lost everything. And uh, in Job chapter number 1, after he got word that he had lost everything, look with me in verse number 20. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell upon the ground. And I love this. And what? And worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can I tell you, that's the will of God. That's the will of God. That we give thanks in all things. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And when we doubt what God is doing in our lives, it causes us to be ungrateful. When we have faith to just trust Him and wait and see what He does through it, it's, it's easier for us to say, Lord, I know I don't like what's going on right now, but I'm thankful that one day You're going to show me, and it's going to be marvelous. There have been a lot of things in my life that while I was going through them, and I, I, folks, I'm going to tell you right now, this, this pastor has feet of clay like anybody else. And I remember the night sitting in my chair in the living room. And the thought came into my head for an instant. It's just not worth it. 
the door to leave everything that I knew about Christ and Christianity and to, to just launch out and say, I'm just if, if this is what the Christian life is all about, I want nothing more of it. And folks, that thought came to my heart. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it didn't. I am grateful that in the very next instant, the next thought was, but Lord, where would I go? You're the only thing that has sustained me. You're the only strength I have. And there are two responses people do when they go through times like that. They either get bitter at God and run from Him and get angry at Him and say, I don't want any part of this anymore. And I've met plenty of them. Or they say, Lord, if I don't have You, I'm not going to survive this. And I must cling to You and I must come to You. And I'll be real frank with you, I was drawn very close to the Lord during those days and those moments. I'm thankful, so grateful for God's patience with us. I don't think it's wrong for us to have a thought that comes in our head like that because I think that, that there are certainly times the thought comes there. It's what we do with that thought in the next instant that determines oftentimes whether we're going to get bitter at God and leave and flee Him or whether we're going to cling to Him. I love what Job said here. He said, The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What a a testimony of Job's gratitude and thankfulness for what God had done in his life. And I'll say this. It's easy to be thankful for the things we're thankful for. It's hard to be thankful for the things we're not thankful for. Unless we realize that even the things we're not thankful for are there because God allowed them to be there. I understand that there are some things we can do, make poor choices, where we can bring some of it on ourselves. And I think we all understand the difference between those things. But I'm talking about the circumstances of life that we didn't have control over. That just happened. We need to trust that God's got a plan. And be grateful for it. Be thankful for what God is doing through it, even though we don't see the end result yet. Number three, hindrances to this thankfulness or gratitude. First of all, would be someone who is unsaved. Secondly, someone who is full of doubts. The next one is found in Ephesians chapter number 5, if you will turn over there with me. Ephesians chapter number 5. And uh, we'll look in verse number 14. Ephesians chapter number 5. And verse number 14. The third one is ignorance or blindness, if you will, to the provident hand of God at work in our lives. The truth is, we get to the end of the day and we've had so many of God's blessings and we haven't even recognized them as His blessings. And it will hinder our thankfulness. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 5 and we'll look in verse number 14. Paul writes this, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, And arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. This idea of being aware, awakening out of our slumber, awakening out of our sleep, 
and being aware of things that are going on around us. In the context of this passage, it's dealing here with understanding the situation of the things of the world and to walk circumspectly, using the wisdom of God in the day-to-day life, understanding and knowing what's going on in the world. And can I say this, that part of knowing that is seeing God's hand at work. Being able to, to determine, I, uh, just the other day we, I was going down the road and uh, something happened in our lives, mine and Jonathan's life, lives of a personal nature. We uh, had tried to be a help to somebody that needed some help and uh, it cost us a little bit. And, and uh, uh, lo and behold, we got a, a, a card in the mail and it had some funds in it. And it was just the amount that we had uh, just been able to help somebody with. And this was just about a week ago. And I opened that envelope just as we got into the truck and uh, we were driving down a highway coming back here to the house. And uh, he said, he's, I, I, we were talking about it, I said, Jonathan, God is so good to us. God is so good to us. Can I tell you this? Even if God hadn't sent that card, God is still good to us. Because we see things like that, and those are the obvious things. But what about the things that aren't so obvious? I've said this so often before. Sometimes it's the small things throughout the day that show us how much God loves us. That even in the small things of our life, He's involved in them. He's at work in them. You kind of expect God to do the big things, because He's God. And out of seven billion people, He only has, in our minds, our limited way of thinking, we limit God and we say, He only has time to deal with the big things. No, He's got time for you. He's got time for every part of your life. And it doesn't even strain His resources to be that way. It doesn't even put a burden on Him. Look with me in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse number 5. Jeremiah chapter 17. We'll probably end with this one. The things that hinder us from being thankful the way we ought to. Someone who's unsaved, someone who's doubtful, not trusting that all things work together for good. The third one is their ignorance or blindness to the hand of God in their life. Look with me in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse number 5. The Bible says this, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. And whose heart, notice this, heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert. And look at this phrase here. And shall not see when good cometh but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness and in the salt land and not inhabit. You know, there's a group of people, both saved and unsaved, that because their heart departs from the Lord, they're not drawn to Him the way they should be, they're not walking with Him the way they should be, that they are blind and they cannot see when the good cometh. That's interesting, isn't it? But you know the person that is right with the Lord, walking with the Lord, is making the Lord His strength, and that's who He depends on. Do you know that person is blind also? The Bible tells us that. Let's, let's read on down a little bit further here. Notice what the Bible says. It says in verse number 7, Blessed is the man. So this man is not cursed. He's blessed. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and in whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree, not a little shrub bush, not a little heath out in the desert blown about, 
He's going to be like a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the river. And boy, you can just see the, how this, man, this, this person is thriving in the grace of God. And notice what it says here. And shall not see, this person is blind too. When what? Heat cometh. Both of them are blind, but they're blind to two different things. The cursed man is blind and cannot see when the good comes. The blessed man is blind because he can't see when the heat comes. He has his eyes on the Lord. He doesn't have his eyes on the circumstances. That's what Peter did when he got out of the boat. And I know we're critical of Peter. He did have more faith than I did because he at least did walk on the water for a ways. When he got his eyes off of the Lord Jesus Christ, he began to sink, didn't he? Why? Because he put his eyes on the circumstances instead of the one that could solve the circumstances. The one in control of the circumstances. And Jeremiah says this. He says, this, this man, this blessed man, uh, whose strength is the Lord, and in his Lord uh, he trusts, and his hope is, he spreadeth out the roots like a tree by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaves shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Oh, that we could learn to see God's hand at work in every aspect of our life. I think it would do us well to go to Walmart. Uh, don't go to Walmart. Go to some place, Dollar Tree, and get you a notebook. And I think it would do you good at the end of every day to sit down and start listing things that God did for you that day. Put it in writing. And then on the day that is terrible, I mean, things just don't go good at all. And you, you're frustrated and you think, Lord, where were you at today? And by the way, we all get there, don't we? Don't, don't be a hypocrite. We all get to that point sometimes. We know He's there, but we don't see Him there all the time. And those days come, pull that notebook out and start reading. Oh, how good God has been to us. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Over the next several weeks, we'll look at several of these. We'll finish up this one next week. And there's several in Scripture. And I think that certainly we need to know what the will of God is in our lives. And I hope and pray that these will be a help to you daily in your life. Um, that we will be more